Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome, everybody. We all made it with the time change. <laughs> all the yesterday, I was like, oh, I got to post that on Facebook, remind everybody. I kept forgetting, but we're all here. All right, so today we're going to look into, discuss, meditate on. Uh, what's the topic? What I put on Facebook? <laughs> Um, right view, yeah, right view and how it um, relates to relation, relationship and relationship to things, others, self, objects, phenomena, all of that stuff. So right view. So for those that are not familiar with the term, the, the view or right view uh, in Buddhism, so right view, it, it really points to it in a very simple way. Uh, the nature of how things are. So right view would be to have a good alignment with the nature of how things are. Uh, in the Theravada perspective, we look primarily at the Four Noble Truths, you know, to really get in a good uh, alignment with the Four Noble Truths, that uh, there, is, there is suffering, that there's, there's causes of suffering, and then therefore there are remedies, uh, ways to to release ourselves from that that suffering. Uh, the more like uh, Mahayana approach is to look more directly at emptiness. So they they're both talking about the same thing, which the Theravada would be more non-grasping mind. Uh, the Tibetans will point more towards just the, the nature of emptiness of of uh, phenomena. So just a little bit of different way to go about it. In, in the Tibetan tradition, there's a lot of minding the mind, which we're going to be looking at this a uh, little deeper today, which is that this idea of right view comes from the mind, like how we look at things comes from our own mind, right? And so if we want to have right view, we have to look at what's happening in our own mind. And so, it's like one of the first things to look at in a, in a very mundane way is that how we relate to things and others <coughs> has a lot to do with, with what's already present in our own mind. So these underlying beliefs and, and concepts that we already have, like everything that, that comes into uh, our awareness, and how we respond to that is kind of bouncing off of what's already what's already there. So if we have these underlying beliefs, let's say if we have an underlying belief that there's there's lack, like there's lack of resources. When your partner says, "Hey, I think I'm going to switch jobs. Things might be a little light for the next few years <laughs> but I'm going to follow my dreams it, it, one might cringe a bit inside if that's an underlying belief now if there's an underlying belief that hey all is good 
abundance is everywhere, the universe is always going to take care of me, that might land differently. It's not right or wrong. It's just to notice that that's there. So we see in our relationships, if we have a belief that yeah, people leave or whatever it might be, it's, it's really important to know that these things that are very subtle are usually the most powerful because they're unseen and they can move through almost all aspects of our life. These things are really subtle, we're not really seeing them, yet they're really powerful because we don't we don't see them and they can really influence a lot of things in life and we keep thinking oh so-and-so did this to me or this situation blah 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 but it's actually how are we relating to that so minding the mind and of course this is the first aspect of mindfulness this is really what we're looking to be looking to look into looking to be aware of and uncover all of these things that are really the root of grasping. You know, what is the really root of grasping? Sometimes it's really not what we think it is. Like, why am I grasping onto this? So another thing that we need to look at along those same lines is that there are two different levels of this kind of uh, perceived reality. There's the object and then there is what appears. So there, there might be an object, like a car. Let's say a car is a car. But actually what appears to the mind is something different. So this is called an appearance. So we have an object and then what appears to the mind. So a car is a car. And then what appears to the mind, if you're having any kind of feelings towards this, this object, if you're having, if, it's, if, if it has some uh, flavor of joy arises or kind of a, a feeling tone of um, aversion might arise. Whatever feeling tones, emotions, um, ideas, concepts, or anything like this, this is what's appearing in the mind. So it's an object and then what appears. It's really good to, to know the difference between the object and what appears in the mind as the object and the feeling tones and all these things associated with it. Because usually this is what we're attached to or we have attachment or aversion to. Yeah? It's not the object itself. It's what is appearing in the mind. And again, all of this is appearing in the mind. Therefore, we need to investigate the mind. Very, very important that we start there. A lot of times we try to control the world. <laughs> We control the objects, we control situations, we try to, yeah. We try to control conditions, all of these things. This is very, very habitual for us. Very little do we just wake up in the morning and just say, I'm gonna control my mind and everything's gonna be okay. <laughs> right? We wake up and say, let, let me see who's around me that I can control, <laughs> and what situations that I can control and fret over and we all know, unfortunately, that 99% of this is out of our control. And yet the mind still does this. And then once I get everything in control and everyone in control, under my control, <laughs> then I will meditate. 
once my life is cool and at ease and all that, I'll do that thing that they say, which like I'll work on my mind, but. Yet if we're paying attention between these two things, the, the object and what's appearing in the mind as the object, and if we're really minding the mind as is, ha is happening, then all of this stuff starts to unravel. And it's unraveling naturally, not as like a self-help program. It's just unraveling naturally. It has to, because this is the nature of how, this is the nature of how it is. This is not, doesn't need to be anything different than that. It's just recognizing, it's just waking up. This is how it is. <clears throat> So, this mindfulness aspect, just waking up, minding the mind, knowing the difference between subject, object, and then how we're meeting it, very importantly. I say, now that we kind of more applied mindfulness, now that we really see what's arising, this is where bodhicitta really comes into play. So, this, the heart breaks practices. And this begins to nip at the root of what is happening. And so we could take one of those, that core belief, that core belief that we're talking about where we're kind of bouncing everything off of, one of those core beliefs is that I exist in a very firm, permanent way and that the whole universe revolves around me and I'm the most important. So we have this self-cherishing aspect, right? Self-cherishing. And not to be confused with a really healthy amount of self-compassion and self-confidence and all of those things that we really need to work on a lot, especially here in the West. But there's also this really firm grip on, on, selfish, on selfishness, yeah? And this is the things that we're talking about where... Um, Let's say that, that, that first example that I started out with, like your partner says, you know, money might be tight or something like this. There's a self-cherishing, like grasping, right? Like, oh no, what's going to happen to me? You know, how's this going to affect me? You're going to go live out your dreams, but what about me? This is an idea. Lama Zopo used to say, you know, it's, he's like, if you're, if you're born in, in hell, don't worry about it. Like, you're just one person, so it's no big deal. If you're born into a heaven realm, you don't, no need to rejoice that much because you're just one person, it's no big deal. If you're, if you're liberated, if you reach enlightenment, but you're just enlightened, it's no big deal. You're just one person. Yet we have an idea that it's everything. <laughs> as long as I'm free, this is it. As long as I'm free, then I'm good. So if we, if we shift this until, if we shift that very core belief that I'm here to serve all beings, I'm here to, to help all beings, I'm here to achieve enlightenment for the benefit of all beings, this one core shift changes how we relate to everything. That one core shift, how, when everything comes in, 
if we're here to benefit others. I love the benefiting others because we're already free just by that intention. You notice that we have all these, these grand goals and aspirations and whatnot that they're just, you know, they're going to happen at some time, somewhere along the way and, and whatnot when I get this or that or whatever. But if we're here and our intention is to serve and to be kind and to be there for others and to, to lift others up, you notice that we could win today. <laughs> like we could actually say, I'm successful today. <clears throat> but th there has to be the realization that there is no separateness between self and others. Because as long as there's that, there's that thought that there's separateness, then that stays as a relative bodhicitta and not ultimate bodhicitta. There's like, oh, as an egoic individual person, I'm going to be here for the benefit of all beings. <laughs> instead, of, instead of realizing that when I uplift others, even through my intention, I uplift myself because there is no difference. Interdependence. <laughs> So selflessness and an emptiness or anatta, non-self, having this, having this view, so this would be one of the aspects of right view. That I don't exist as a separate entity, as a separate thing. I have a timer because I'm recording this. I have a timer. I can't see the time. What time is it? It's 10.45? Okay. All right. I'm going to... What's that? 10.45. I didn't set my watch yet. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. All right, so I want to do some practices. I wanted to set that, that groundwork first. And just to, you know, summarize what's meeting, what's meeting the object? What, what is the mind meeting the object? How are we meeting the object? What's appearing in the mind is not the object, it's the appearance of it, which can have a lot of other, it, it's it, uh, intermingled with a lot of other things that are within our own mind. We have craving, we have desire, we have attachment, we have aversion. Most of that attachment and aversion is all tied into some kind of self-cherishing. Yeah? And so therefore the development of loving-kindness, compassion. Loving-kindness and compassion removes the sense of a separate self. This is why we do it. This is why it merges with wisdom. Because the wisdom shows that it's just not true, that we are, we can't see separateness. If you point to yourself, you can't see, you can't find yourself. If I say, everyone left our shoes out there, I say, go find your shoes, you go right to your shoes. But if I say, find yourself, 
You can't. <laughs> right? But still we grasp. So we're looking into the, these, these, these aspects for right view to appear, right? Very clearly. So maybe we can go over that. But here, I want to do some, some very direct practices. This is from the Vipassana. This is Tibetan Vipassana style. Vipassana in Tibetan is, they, they point more directly. More in the Theravada is more just looking at the true nature of things. And then in the Tibetan style, they like to look in a particular way to kind of draw out. Yeah. So this will be more the Tibetan style of Vipassana, right? Of minding the mind to draw out some of these things. Okay. So go ahead and, and move into like a, a meditative state, uh, a meditative position. You can have your eyes open, your eyes closed. Okay. And just looking at the mind, turning the mind on the mind, and this is not abstract just like you would look at a table or a chair you turn inward looking at the mind and as you look at the mind does it have form or not and you're not looking at this with to analyze it, you're experiencing the answer. Very important. It's not analytical. You're experiencing the answer. If I told you to look at a table, you do not need to analyze if the table is square or tall or whatever. Just looking at it. Does the mind have form? Does it have any kind of shape at all? Does it have location? Size, color. qualities that you do find? Do you find any lucidity? Wakefulness, energy, what do you find?
What did you find? It's like popcorn style. Just what'd you notice? Sloth and torpor. Sloth and torpor. <laughs> <laughs> so remember, we can't do anything here without shamatha, right? Without concentration, without some kind of alertness and focus. So at the very basis of meditation, doesn't matter what amazing technique we're doing without without some kind of concentration, the mind cannot even look at loving kindness, can't look at itself, can't look at anything, right? That's why it's so foundational. I noticed that at times, uh, that its nature felt very formless. Yes. But then it would come in, that there would be shapes, or there would be like gripping, attachment, shapes, stuff, and then they would go back into mm. that vastness. Mm. And I also noticed that I had the idea that it was located here, <laughs> and then I was like, but that's just my eyes. <laughs> and, and so yeah. I, I had, I, I experienced more of my mind throughout my body. Cool. Yeah. Good. Yes. That was sort of my experience of, <clears throat> to the extent of my mind having a form that it is my body but that my body isn't like a discrete thing in itself it it is what it's, it is because of its relationship to other things and you know the things you're touching most immediately and you know that's where the experience is from that inner relationship so the form ends up being interdependence and no it doesn't have like a single location yes wonderful struck with the thought towards the end in a similar experience of trying to figure out am I my mind or not mm-hmm. like when I'm trying to feel my body I'm sort of used to that relationship but mm-hmm. trying to my mind I couldn't figure out if I am my mind or not yeah so so we're, we're experiencing these answers you know where is the eye that's looking at the mind yeah. you know where is the eye that's looking at the body do you have the answer? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have the answer? <laughs> yeah. And you know, is the body appearing, you know, is the body dependent on the mind or is the mind dependent on the body? Right? So, so there has to be some kind of what's appearing to the mind, you know, and then that which is looking at either one of those, that which is looking at body, that, that which is looking at mind, the same and then when we attach the eye to that is that an imputation or what is there when we say am I the body which is interesting because then you're just talking about two different things right because you just you're owning something and being something at the same thing at the same time we say my body well who owns the body you say my mind well who owns the mind Oh, imputation means you're globbing something on top of something. So you're imputing, in other words, something is just as it is. And then an imputation is we put something on top. So in other words, we say there's a body. And then this this concept of I, like am I the body, is that imputing on top of something that's just existing. You know, am I the body? It's really important. Yeah. Uh, let me think. So it's kind of like 
mind, no form, but uh, like lightning, all over. And then uh, no lightning. So busy mind, aware. So we're looking, <clears throat> mind and movement, what's the difference? You're minding the mind in movement, minding the mind in stillness. That which is minding both of them is, when you're minding the mind that is a movement, lots of thoughts, is the awareness of that any different when, the, when you mind a still mind? Hmm. Whoa. Noticing the difference. I mean, we're noticing, not the difference, but noticing that which is minding the mind in movement, minding the mind in stillness, same or different. Noticing. A lot of times we are trying to get a still mind. Why? We think that we're doing it right, yet experiment. That which is looking at a mind in movement, is it in movement? Why is it trying to get still? Is it already still? Is it not looking? Yeah? Julianne, sorry, you had one? Um, so, vastness, um, there's no shape or form, like the night sky with the the stillness yet the um, the multitude of stars creating a different illusion but there's no difference it's a connection I am no different than that expansiveness there was no form but of course then there was a then it would see the the stars which were just images of light mm-hmm Great. So as we, as we frame more subtleties of mind, remember that we're making stuff up, right? Like because we're doing it for language's sake. Yeah? And so as we get more and more subtle, we have to be more and more aware of when we try to explain, it to, explain this to ourselves that it's, it's long gone as soon as we try to put anything on top of it, which is fine totally for communication's sake. And remember within yourself, you're experiencing the answer. This is not, you could give the mind a total day off, right? It's a neck down exercise. You need no brain. Because if the brain could figure it out, we would have a PhD in enlightenment and we'd all be at wherever getting our PhD. It's not in the mind, right? It's not, in the, it's not something learned. It's something unlearned, right? Like great Ramana, just saw this, you know, on great old Instagram. I love how Ramana, he would say this all the time. Some guy came and he said, I'm from like Cambridge or something like this. I'm here to learn from you. And he says, well, if you, hurt, if you are here to learn from me, please leave. <laughs> because here we only unlearn, ah. right? There's universities where you learn and accumulate. Here we unlearn. And this is all that we're doing in our practice is unlearning because we're non-grasping and we're looking. We're not learning here. We're not learning anything here. We're experiencing something here. 
there's a game there's there's a knowledge arising but it's knowledge arising because it's already present right we're not learning something like we're going to grab something from out here and then we're going to learn it and then it could be like you know it's perishable right this is a, this is discovering something that's already present yeah yeah i felt like um, when you talked about location i thought it was interesting that i at first thought it was like you know in this mind space and i was like that's not actually true i actually feel above my head sometimes and i was like that's a weird thought and i never thought yeah. that way mm-hmm. um, and the term mind space like yeah. what's that mean like yeah. we do we do think that our brain is up here like if you yeah. like here in the west we say mind here and of course tibetans will point here to mind chinese will point back up here you know but it's all conceptual because when we really look at the mind where is the mind we can't find a location of the mind yeah we know that you know thoughts fire in, in the brain but with the vagus nerve and all this gut stuff, they know even the body tying into the mind is not just brain, right? Okay, you want to play another round? Okay. <laughs> I'm, well, okay, cool. All right. <laughs> all right. So please allow your eyes to remain open during this practice. We're going to look at appearances. I want you to hold within your gaze very lightly in an end and in a non-analytical way an object out before you. It could be a pillow. It could be this bowl. If you see this bowl, it could be something up here could be something resting on the table it could be anything you're not analyzing it but just simply resting your gaze on it and as you rest your gaze on this object just examine is the object different than the perceiver of the object. So the object that you're looking at, what is is the difference between the object itself and that which perceives? So this mind that perceives the object, experience the answer. Notice, is this object separate than the experiencing mind?
And does the appearance come into your mind or does the mind somehow go out and enter into the appearance or get the appearance? Super deep, huh? Mm -hmm. So, going back to where we started and why we're doing this real quick. <coughs> we could all agree that our mind makes stuff up. Yeah, when things from the outside come in, it is completely dependent upon our minds on how that thing is perceived. So we're just doing an exercise here to pinpoint that when we look at an object in a very formal way as opposed to an informal way when somebody comes and just says hi to us we're actually not seeing that person we're seeing our mind's idea of that person and how we relate to that person happens right after that whether we relate in kindness and fear whatever so this is a formal way to look at how do objects appear in mind yeah so it's very it's a very practical this is not really about even in a sense we could take in a many different levels of like right view and all this stuff but in a very mundane way this is really important as far as ethics go right just with that yeah okay so how was that you had the object and the experiencer of the object. It was freaky. Um, let me just say that, uh, you know, when you asked us to look at the object and then describe there's an object as a perceiver, I felt separate. And then I could say, uh, no perceiver, so different. And then I thought, wow, I've never met my perceiver. That was great. I was um, I had some anxiety come up. Yes. Um, which I try to offer myself some comfort over. Yes. Um, and I guess maybe the thinking mind or the, the languaging mind was trying to sort of think. Well, maybe there's like some annihilation, or some fear of annihilation. Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. um, I was literally just looking at the, the outlet, <laughs> mm -hmm. and um, sort of a, a knowledge that you yeah, have sort of this idea of non-self, yeah, it can be very sort of mm. terrifying and mm -hmm. really uh, experience some of it rather than just mm -hmm. yeah. think about how cool it could be. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was a little bit of a relief and almost like stepping into water, yeah. mm -hmm. like getting used to the mm -hmm. coolness, mm -hmm. something mm -hmm. like that. Mm. Wonderful. Mm. There's a very common analogy doing these practices of water meeting water, you know. And the other thing I'll say just about the annihilation and anxiety part, this is why I say over and over and over again, 
we can only go as far as our love will take us because of that part. If we don't feel full when we walk into things that are very ungrounding like this, which can feel that way if we don't have it, you know, mm -hmm. if we don't have that fullness of love and compassion and immense devotion, which you don't have to have devotion, but just to always reiterate, these practices were taught in lineages where they have insane amount of devotion and they're dropping these practices into that, you know, and then here we need to replace that with something. So the heart practices are so incredibly mm -hmm. important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at, at first, I was seeing <clears throat> living, or I was perceiving like living, non-living, and then I started feeling just how the body is like another object that's like defined in that space, and we're all here as these separate objects, like our body. You know, that we can get stuck in in our own body being an object, just like the chair being an object. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I, I guess I can relate a little bit, uh, because um, at first I, um, I, it seemed like I was just present, just with the object, not really noticing whether or not there is a difference or not, um, not really noticing whether, um, or even having an awareness of, of the mind itself. And then when you asked, um, you know, to notice uh, the difference about the, the perception, um, that's when I started, I guess, feeling kind of worried, like, mm -hmm. oh, wait a minute, I, um, I'm not really, I'm not really noticing, um, um, I guess, the, the, the difference. Should I notice the like a difference, uh, and so that's kind of where where I stayed as far as um, the the perception. Just mm -hmm. wondering um, if um, if there is a difference um, in it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, I'll just say that the mind will want to wonder. And yet reality is very simple, you know? So like, is, is, the, is the experiencer different than that which is experienced? Right, so in the beginning maybe, maybe I was just the mind, like I'm in the mind and I'm just mm -hmm. looking at this object. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I was with the object itself, mm -hmm. meaning just not really that awareness or that attachment mm -hmm. to the mind. And then when you ask like, well, you know, mm -hmm. which is which, then I'm, I think maybe the mind's like, wait a minute, you know, mm -hmm. where, you know, where am I now? Mm -hmm. Where am I? Mm -hmm. you know? Right. And, and you're always stepping back into that, which is witnessing all of that, mm -hmm. you know? So the, the mind will say, well, what am I, well, that's a thought, exactly. right? So that, that which is binding the thought, move into that. That's your place of refuge. That's your ground, right? Mm -hmm. That which is noticing thought, oh, am I this or am I that? Well, I'm that which is permanent, which is that which is looking at the thought. So that thought is going to come and go, and I'm still here. Yeah, so you come back into your place of refuge. So we're doing this very skillfully, right? So when we do these practices, we're very skillful. We have, the, we have our place of refuge. We have, we have awareness, and we have compassion. 
right? So this is, this is our anchor. We're anchoring in awareness. So all of the, the thoughts are trying to think of stuff. And you're like, oh, hello, there are thoughts. Yeah, you're like thinking, da-da-da, whatever. And they're coming and going. Yeah, and I'm experiencing I am, I am, just the I am, just that part. Forget everything else. The I amness is witnessing this. And the I amness is very secure. It's the most secure thing that we could ever be, that I amness. And we're watching all the other experiences floating in and out of that awareness. And then we keep coming back to awareness, but that those, those thoughts are sticky and they want us to jump into them and believe them and all this stuff and get, get all up here. But then we just come back down and we're coming back down to that. And in that awareness, innately, innately there resting is loving kindness, compassion in the form of non-judgment. Because we're looking at non-judgment, nothing's good, nothing's bad, it's okay, right? And so we're doing this skillfully. And if you feel, like some of you have mentioned, you're doing these practices for a very short amount of time. You know, if you feel more okay with it, you could do it for longer periods of time. But lots of loving kindness, compassion, and then doing this for a short amount of time. Yeah. Angela. Um, it was really interesting because when you said it first, you know, am I, is there a difference between me perceiving this or the object itself. At first my mind was trying to figure out and that went on for a little bit and then you said again and then I felt such agitation. Mm -hmm. Like and all I could hear in my mind was like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like it was like screaming really loud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I felt like, oh my God, like what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden when I kinda step back or something happened and then I just felt this warmth. Like just mm. go through and it was like mm, like that it's okay mm. 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 he but was screaming the answer at you yeah, <laughs> I, really I don't know yeah and then I started looking at yeah and that's awesome yeah and just like don't know I wonder what those little stripes are for <laughs> you know it's like, like oh that's too much yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's fine Aww. this is like a this is a koan, you know. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a free form koan, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you said to choose an object, I chose this picture in front of me mm -hmm. originally, and I attached all these feelings to it immediately. Mm -hmm. I was like, whoa, mm -hmm. I can't, you know, choose to focus on that. So I chose the little dot below it. Oh, cool. <laughs> Not my glasses. I can't. I can barely even see it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I was like, that's a dot, and I guess I'm a dot. I guess we're even. I'm a dot to the dot. That uh, um, I attach so many ideas to an object so quickly. Cool. Kevin? I um, Just when you mentioned uh, that whether your mind is going out to the object mm -hmm. or the object is coming to your mind, mm -hmm. I noticed at that moment that um, just the slightest, it, it was almost a toggling sort of experience, mm. the mm -hmm. slightest shift of, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it wasn't a thought necessarily, but just kind of a shift of perception, mm -hmm. one or the other was taking place, mm. kind of a back and forth thing, mm. and uh, it's a proof of that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Ricky, you have some? It was kind of entertaining. 
Bob, because <laughs> I, I was, what, I'm sorry, I've forgotten what your name is, but you, what you're saying, you know, the dot and you having this conversation in a way, but um, reminded me of being in a Tom Robbins novel a little bit. <laughs> um, there's a uh, sock that I'm looking at, and I'm looking at the sock, and the name of the sock looking at me, and the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking the sock is an, 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 an object, object, and the sock is thinking, well, at least, you know, I mean, I'm an inanimate object, but I can, you know, I'm quiet, and, you know, I don't really think that much, you know, it's just kind of relaxing. So it's interesting, it's kind of like um, anthropomorphizing cover, um, the object and having this um, sort of, you know, different difference in perspective going on. Mm -hmm. It's pretty interesting, kind of fun in a way, but... Yeah, and just... I mean, just be aware, and it's all it's all fine that we're we're investigating this way. But be be aware of how much the mind is is telling, talking about this, you know, and how much you're just experiencing it. Just experience the answer, and then the mind will do a commentary later, and during, and whatever. The more you do it, the less commentary there will be. The more you do it, this is all with all meditation. There's always like meditation and then the commentary on top of it. And then um, the more you do it, you'll just be able to experience. And what I do with things like this, I make myself like flashcards of like the questions or you could, you could record yourself asking yourself questions. Like when I look at an object, when I hear sound, is sound out here or is, where is sound actually happening? Where do I experience sound? Am I going out to get sound? Is sound coming in? Where do I experience sound? How do I experience it? What is there a difference? You could record yourself saying that and just sit in meditation and notice mm. and notice these things. This is called pointing out the Dharmakaya. This is a it, it's an ancient text. Uh, this one is it there's a commentary by Trangu Rinpoche. Um, Trangu Rinpoche is a scholar for scholars. He's actually the sixteenth Karmapa's um, uh, the seventeenth Karmapa's scholarly teacher. It's phenomenal. Um, Highly recommended if you're into this type of nonsense. <laughs> Time is it, brother? Uh, about 11.20. 11.20. Okay, so let's just sit for a meditation. We're not doing another round. <laughs> <clears throat> I invite you to place your hand on your heart if you like. So the Buddha would talk a lot about non-self and then he would say do metta for yourself. <laughs> so we're staying in relative reality too. We do exist in the ways that we think we do. We are a formation of body and mind and thoughts and beliefs and concepts. Just coming back home to this body-mind, breathing in, I know that I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I know that I am breathing out. Then paying attention to your sitting bones, whether you're sitting on the chair or on the ground, and feeling connected to the earth beneath you. And 
through this connection of the earth, we're connected to all beings. We share the same food and air and climate, water. So feeling connected to each other and also feeling connected in our own what we think is our own insecurities and sufferings and recognize that we're all together in that too. We all have fears as human beings, worries. And it's because of this on our own knowledge of our own suffering, we could open our hearts to others have compassion. May I do this work so I overthrow my own fears, my overthrow my own insecurities and worries, so I could benefit other beings to do the same. beings everywhere without exception may they all be happy may they all be free from suffering Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.